Hi, I'm Jason Marcos. And I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. Today, I'm talking about three holiday songs that I believe should be on every holiday playlist. Joyful Joyful by Jasmine Sullivan, and I guess the Pentatonics. Joy to the World by Whitney Houston, and Barbara Streisand's Chaotic Jingle Bells. Happy Holidays! Happy holidays indeed. I like that description of Barbara Streisand's um, Jingle Bells. It's exa- I know exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you say that. Uh, I, I feel like it is... Uh, there's a group... There's no one ever in between. There's a group that's like, this is fantastic. And then there are people who are like, what? It is insane. How can you listen to that? And I'm in the first group. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I guess before we even get into it, like, I think the thing is, the reason I wanted to talk about this is, is, uh, and and, and why I'm talking about these songs in particular, is I think for for a good, I want to say a good portion of the population, holiday songs in general are flops, right? Like, people just don't like them. Like, because are you, you're not really a holiday song person. I mean, there's very few that I think have, like, lasting power, right? There's very few contemporary Christmas or holiday songs that make it through like uh, the sands of time. Sure. You know? Sure. But do you like, so, so that is true. I, I believe that's true. I think it's hard. I think there, there's so much the way we as a Western society celebrate the holidays. Um, it's like so nostalgia soaked mm-hmm. that, you know, we're nostalgic for songs and a feeling that those songs evoke that like probably didn't exist at the time even like that was it's nostalgia of nostalgia mm-hmm. right like if you you know in some ways um and so i think yeah to your point it's really hard for like a new song to come in and sort of uh like reach that level but but gen- more generally speaking do you kind of like the holiday environment mu- music environment I mean, I don't really turn to it. I don't find mm-hmm. myself tuning into, you know, many holiday songs. There's, of course, the obligatory Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. I feel like everyone... I heard that for the first time this year yesterday. Instant class. That's what I mean. And that's yeah. the, that's like the... that That is like the gold standard for a modern classic holiday yeah. song. Because yeah. on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's like when you have artists or bands doing... Um, like holiday standards albums, very rarely is there anything new brought to a yeah. holiday classic that I needed or wanted. Sure, sure. And I think that's why I'm talking about these songs today. Because I feel like they successfully reinvent sort of what is, you know, what you expect from these songs and like the traditional reading of the songs. And I think you know, it's funny you mentioned All I Want for Christmas because I do love that song. But if you're talking about that being like, you know, one of the only, you know, it's, it's, it is an example of like probably the only true modern classic Christmas song, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it came out in 1994. I mean, we're talking about a 27 year old song now at this point, which is not to say that it's wrong. It's just like, like how rare it is for a song to kind of break through because certainly people have been writing Christmas songs every year since and continue to do so right like but nothing really breaks through yeah i mean yeah it's hard like i mean i of course i have like my personal my personal pop holiday classics like santa can you hear me by britney spears 
Yeah. Is that no, that's not what that song is. It's called My Only Wish. Yeah, whatever. And then there's the Christina Aguilera one that starts out with like the uh the chorus chanting. It's Christmas time. That Christina yeah, you Aguilera. Know what? I don't okay. So la, la, with some la, of these la. some of these some of these girls, I can't listen to their their, you know, their their new version, their new songs. Like Britney Spears, I actually over the years I have come to really enjoy my wish. Now, what was it? My Christmas wish? My only wish. My only wish. My only wish. Um, Christina Aguilera will never like any of her other songs, but I do like her her readings, her sometimes overwrought readings of Christmas classics, like okay. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like the fa la 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 whatever. Like, no. It's Christmas time. Yeah, no. Um, but any, anyway. <laughs> Reinvent Christmas. Don't, I mean, uh... and, and and you know, again, before anyone's like, "What these songs aren't flops or like whatever." Yeah. You're talking about Whitney Houston. You're talking about Barbara Streisand. You're talking about Pentatonics, which I do not really like, but um, they're like arguably, I mean, objectively, they're a very successful band. Um, and the you know, in the pop culture realm, so the premier acapella singing group of like yeah. the world of the world somehow um, i mean i have no i have no basis for judgment but it's just always astounding to me that pentatonics is like the one acapella singing group that has yeah. has made it yeah you know yeah and i mean i think that but that you know you have you have that and then you have like this holiday world which like you know some people just have like a total aversion to holiday music in general and then within that i did want to just highlight some songs that i think that like buck sort of the the expectations or the criticisms for from those who do not like christmas music okay um or holiday music in general music um, you can enjoy year round maybe or that just you know put a different <laughs> put a different spin on it i can't look I, I i live in a household now where i am i am allowed to listen to christmas music only after the day uh, you know not not before thanksgiving it has to be after thanksgiving it cannot even be on thanksgiving it has to be after and then um probably the day christmas you know christmas day and then after that it, which i wouldn't anyway but i wouldn't listen after but i'm not crazy but um my window has narrowed significantly from mm. when i was single it's just christmas in july for you <sighs> you know every once in a while sometimes you got to hear miss you most at christmas time my favorite mariah carey song okay. well I don't know. That one always makes me cry because I've lived alone for a long Not alone, but like away from my family for a long time. <laughs> yeah. The other, yeah. oh, the other Christmas song that I will say I do have a, a strong affection for is uh, the Darlene Love Christmas song or the Crystals Christmas song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, baby, please come home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. Yes. Christmas yeah, parentheses. Baby, please come home. Wall of sound, a wall of Christmas wall sound. Wall of sound, yes, just w- moving down. It's like a snowbank. Who was that? Phil Spector. Phil Spector. Yeah, Phil Sp- yeah. That's such, if you guys don't know that, um, just I don't know how to tell you how to find out about it. I guess Did he murder somebody? Darlene Love. Yes. Oh, okay. That's why yes. we don't love Phil Spector anymore. No, I mean he threatened many women with 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 guns over the course okay. of his career. He gave us the wall of sound. He took away some lives. Um. <laughs> Not but Darlene Love, yeah, that Christmas yeah. song. She sang it on many years on David Letterman until David Letterman um, ceased to run his late night talk show. I think she swore at the time never to do it again. And the next season she was doing it on The View. Well, I think she, you know, look, you got to get the streams. It's the um, one time of year you get Darlene Love out of the house. 
Well, <laughs> well, and you know, I follow Darlene Love ever since. Uh, ever since I learned that story, but also like after tw- she, that movie, Twenty Feet from Stardom, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it plays a, it plays a big role. I mean, if if you don't know, Darlene Love had contributed the main vocals to that song, Christmas Baby, Please Come Home, and then over the years have been. I think Phil Spector just like he attributed it to uh, someone else. Yeah. To someone else. And so was not credited with the vocals. Didn't get any of the money from it. And, you know, her career had a lot of ups and downs, but I think in the eighties, right. It was like in the eighties, like by that, like her career had kind of foundered. She was cleaning houses in Beverly Hills. And I think she heard the song playing on the radio at the house she was cleaning and was like, that's my song. And, I forget how she winds up. She ends up winding up on on David Letterman's show. He has her on to sing it, you know, so that to give her her due. Yeah, and uh, it becomes a huge hit. It revitalizes her career, and then he for the rest of his the time that he had the show, she appeared every year to sing the song as part of a, a Christmas tradition, and that like fully just like changed the course of her life at that point. Truly, a Christmas miracle. Yeah, <laughs> someone needs to turn that into a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone's trying. Yeah. Well, I, I think you should fictionalize. It. I don't know. I would think it would be more powerful if you like fictionalized it. Cause I'm not sure how compelling. Well, no, maybe the actual story is pretty compelling. It the is. I mean, of, like, look, yeah, it's like a real person. She goes in and records those tracks for Phil Spector. And then and puts other he, people's names on them. Cause it was the crystals, right? And yeah, the, the, the crystals, crystals would go out and perform, but it was three other women. Uh huh. And, because Darlene Love had her own girl group that inexplicably yeah. was not given the shine. Yeah, it's like really sad. I mean, Twenty Feet from Stardom is still available. It's like such a good, such a good documentary mm-hmm. about um, backup singers or you know what do you call background vocalists and mm-hmm. what they've contributed and how how iconic they are. How much you probably do know them, you just don't know their names. So, um, yeah. And we, as we've established with Jennifer Lopez, the backing vocals can. Make a song. It's true. Thank you, Christina Milian <laughs> and Ashanti. Oh, by the way, yes, Ashanti. Oh, flopped, Soul, Soul Train, Soul Train Awards. Yeah, yeah. What last weekend? Yeah. So the Soul Train Awards aired on BET either last week or the week before. Um, a lot of the live performances went up on YouTube. Noted recipient of like I think it was the Lady of Soul. Wait, no, mm-hmm. Ashanti no. won the Lady of Soul Award like twenty years ago. Yeah, but remember people, but it, but people were like, oh, she's only had one album. Like, what's, are yeah. we really doing this? Some kind of honorarium type of thing they mm-hmm. gave to Ashanti. Ashanti came out there. She killed it. She went, yeah, she did. She went up a thousand percent in my estimation. Look, if you, if you haven't seen it, you should Google it. You, YouTube, find it on YouTube. Um, a majority of my criticisms of Miss Ashanti uh, are rectified. <laughs> In, in and addressed in this performance she sings the hell out of these songs that you really thought there was no singing in yeah yeah <laughs> her voice so much better now yeah 20 years you, later you know what warmed my heart was that in that ashanti episode the song that i redeemed the flop song of hers the way that i love you off the declaration when she broke into that during her medley at the soul train awards everyone in that audience knew that song they cut to all the people in the audience singing along with that song. I was like, oh, my people <laughs> who know this, who know this flop Ashanti song. <laughs> Amazing. Look, look, this continues a tradition of flop redeemer flops uh, going on to do great things. Great things. Um, I think the power that we have. Yeah. But the Soul Train Awards, they were amazing. Um 
They were, they were hosted by Tisha Campbell and Tina Arnold. Oh, yeah, yeah. You may remember from Martin. You may remember also from Little Shop of Horrors. I do not, but that's what? cool. No, I, do, I don't remember. Wait, from Did you see Little Shop production? of Horrors? With Rick, Rick Moranis and um, oh, oh 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 from back yes 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 yes, yes they yes, were the yes, they yes, were the right. trio of singing part of the trio of singing oh, girls I don't I mean Tisha I, Campbell was I think Tisha Campbell was like sixteen or seventeen wait have you seen would you have Disney Plus yes okay have you seen the Howard Ashman documentary on no. that no it is so good it's so good and it talks about it goes into the whole Rocky Horror um or not Rocky Horror. <laughs> little shop before because he wrote it right like Mm -hmm. you know and and um it was so great and i mean like he's so musical but but howard ashman is the composer who um you know did little mermaid and Mm -hmm. beauty and the beast and aladdin and like basically kind of like was responsible for disney's resurgence its creative rebirth in the late 80s early 90s um with alan menken right with alan menken and was just such a, a a talented lyricist, also a closeted gay man who ended up dying of AIDS. Like that, most people don't know that part of the story. But he also wrote um, "Little Shop of Horrors," and it it's just the the documentary is so good and it's um, so loving and it just op- sheds light on this person who has who really just like contributed so much to like pop culture and like basically our lives, you know, I yeah. mean, like little mermaid was formative for me. I still, Ursula is still my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I went as Ursula. I sing poor oh, right. souls when I need to like lift right. myself up in the car. Um, <laughs> thank you Spotify for having it available all the time. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, Tisha Campbell, Tashina Arnold, uh, soul train awards, Jasmine Sullivan also gave a great um, mm-hmm. acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. I was like, it, I got teared up. Jasmine, Jasmine Sullivan, who I guess we're talking about today. Yeah. She won um, an award for uh, hotels. Yep. And she got up there and she basically said like, you know, she was considering not showing up for the award because she hasn't been liking the way that she has looked lately or felt lately. I think in, you know, her her self-image like her body mm-hmm. and her that stuff and she said but you know um because so much of what she sings about is about you know like accepting yourself and taking yourself as you are like and coming to that understanding she's like i wanted to show up for myself and i wanted to show up for everyone to just say like you know basically like accept for accept yourself for who you are basically yeah. and uh i was i was i was touched <laughs> Yeah, no, it's. I think I think hotels even was like NPR's number one album of the year, twenty twenty one. Yeah, I was. I was also moved by that, you know, and I just love her so much. Uh, you know, Spotify Wrapped came out. I am in the top one percent of listeners of Jasmine Sullivan, number one artist, number mm. one song. Um, still could not get tickets to her show. Uh, her tour in February. Um, you need to be in, in the like queue. the decimal points, man. <sighs> I know. Well, I know. I guess or, you, just like need to, the point. you need to click faster. That's it. The was word. like the we were in the queue. We were in the oh, queue. Okay. And it just disappeared three times. So, I mean, you know. But you know me. I am. I am in the top point one percent of Carly Rae Jepsen fans. Yeah, that's true. I listened to Carly Rae Jepsen's "Your Type" seventy nine times this year, which <laughs> I, mean, I actually think. I think that Spotify sometimes doesn't count it when I immediately skip back to the beginning of the song before the song is finished. 
I I oh. guarantee I've actually listened to that song more than 79 times. I believe that. Because there are days when I just need to listen to it repeatedly for several hours. I just like that like for mo- for us, you know, our our number one lit, uh, song or whatever, it's like 40, 79, whatever. And then our friends, it's like you listen to it 15 times. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's like maybe once a month, yeah. like one and a half times a well, month. If, you, if you've got the, if you've got eclectic <laughs> tastes, you know, you're just moving on. Such a low bar. Come back at me when you're the dozens of times per song. <laughs> Amateurs. Anyway, anyway have we have we anyway. eaten have we eaten up too much of our time? No, we have not. We've eaten the right amount of time. All right. Well, we always going. have time. To remind our listeners that songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, perhaps. No promises. <laughs> www.flopredeemer.com. I'll try. You know what? In the spirit of Christmas, I will I will do this for you. I will update our website. Flopredeemer.com. A true Christmas gift. A Christmas miracle. Uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. We have a lot of people coming to us from Spotify these days. I don't know why. Anyway. Uh. What do you, hello spotify listeners subscribe to us on, on spotify click that little uh follow button or whatever they have on spotify help us out is it smash smash no 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 don't no, smash anything no. not on my watch <laughs> <laughs> gently gently tap uh check us out on social media at flop redeemer on instagram and twitter at facebook.com slash flop redeemer and email us. Emailing us is like the most reliable way to um, reach us on a platform that we actually look at. Mm-hmm. That's flopperdeemer at gmail.com. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. So today I am going to bring you joyful, joyful, jingling bells to the world. Okay. I'm going to talk about the three songs by three divas of Christmas. Okay. Does not include Vanessa Williams. But look, we can talk about her later, but that deserve a place on your holiday playlist. Okay? Okay. And so like, I guarantee you, if you, whether you like holiday music or not, whether you are a huge holiday fan or you just dip in, you know, the month of December, these three songs on your playlist will not disappoint. My first song is Joyful, Joyful. <laughs> Did you say disagree? No, I said give it to me. Oh. <laughs> Stop me in my tracks. This is like, the problem with us being um, still recording remotely. Like for all eternity, we're going to record, record remotely. But like we cross talk so much. I have to cut out the parts where, like, we don't realize because of the internet delay that we're talking directly on top of each other, and it becomes, like, incomprehensible. Sometimes I leave it in, though, because it's it's our vibe. If we had an engineer, they would just separate it. No, what we need is, like, premier enterprise-level internet connections. Oh, I have that. But I, I don't know if, like... Google Meet or whatever this is that we're on. I don't know if it's capable of transmitting our image and sound instantaneously. It's absolutely not instantaneous. Because I have enterprise level Zoom. I don't think that that's instantaneous either. I I don't think so. This is is just a sign of the times. Keep going. Three divas of something holiday. The three divas of Christmas. Yes. My Christmas this year. Okay. Okay. We've got Jasmine Sullivan. 
who has not had a Christmas album. Whitney Houston, famously dead. Barbara Streisand. <laughs> okay. Not dead, but a Jew. And, uh, you know, not always associated with doing Christmas, like super Christmassy things, right? But, I mean, icons, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with Joyful Joyful. Now, some of you may not realize that Jasmine Sullivan released a song on a Christmas album. And that is probably because she has not, like by herself. Um, This is a collaboration with Pentatonix. And the reason I have included this here is because there are many people, myself included, who would write this off purely because of the Pentatonix connection. Um. I say that I mean Pentatonix obviously is would very you have written popular. This off? I I would have okay. Uh, the only thing that attracted me to it was the, the fact that on Spotify last year it came up as featuring Jasmine Sullivan, and I was like, excuse me, um, what is she doing here? You know, and uh, <laughs> um, I normally would not, and and I think to, to I think I'm I'm not alone in saying this. Like, I, Pentatonix is popular. Right, they're mm-hmm. as Barry you mentioned, they're premier uh, acapella group. However, uh, did you see the show Hacks on I HBO did. Max? I did. Okay, uh, Jean Smart's character is getting unceremoniously booted from her residency be- by the the guy, the owner of the casino, wanting to bring in pentatonics, and mm-hmm. it's kind of this season long running joke <laughs> about this legend being replaced by you know, and she can't even pronounce them; she doesn't know who they are. I felt like this makes them prime for flop redeemer because <laughs> popular they may be cool. They are not. It's, it's definitely uh, a subgenre of music that they have crossed over into like pop music in uh-huh. a very strange and exceptional way in a way that like unseen. I, I just can't buy into it as pop music. I can, I don't. I don't know how to feel about pentatonics. To be totally honest, I yeah, mean, no, it's, yeah, a hundred percent. So, so if you don't know, so pentatonics is an acapella group that formed in two thousand eleven um, from a bunch of like college students. Um, they won the third season of the Sing Off, which ostensibly was an NBC show. I don't know. Oh, Nicholas um, Shea hosted that, right? Yeah, I mean, I do know, but it was one of those things where like major network TV three seasons competitions, three seasons. And yeah, who won the first two? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, but they earned $200,000 and a Sony recording contract, and they have taken that and run, right? Like, run across the finish line. Like, they're, by and large, probably among, like, the most successful TV competition artists or or acts that have resulted from a TV competition, you know, ever. I mean, there's... The, there's a handful, right? You can probably count them all on like two hands. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to like give anyone short shrift, but well, especially you know. I feel like in in that period of time, like I feel like the majority of people that were able to, you know, keep their grubby claws into stardom after reality TV were from like an earlier batch of folks. Uh-huh. I like feel a like Kelly Clarkson, like a Kelly Clarkson. I feel like you get to 2011, it seems incomprehensible that someone could win a reality singing competition and actually make anything of it, let alone like maintain 
the rewarded major label recording contract. Which which then gets you into the acapella of it all. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is a subgenre of like, you know, like of of a genre. Like obviously pitch I think Pitch Perfect had a lot to do with mm. the popularity mm-hmm. of this kind of thing. Glee school acapella groups. Yeah, Glee. The, the 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 timing was right, but even the Glee kids aren't that popular now, right? Like, I mean Yeah. It, the moment seems to have passed. So they, they win this, they win this competition. I'm familiar. And I believe you are familiar with at least two of the members, Scott Hoying and Mitch Grassi. Um, They have a group called Superfruit um, that does YouTube videos and they were doing YouTube covers um, a, a long time ago. I mean, they, I remember they did like a Beyonce cover or something a while ago and, um, that's how I first came to know them. I did not realize that they were part of Pentatonix until maybe like two years ago. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I mean, I just, I just, it like was one of those things where I was like, oh, yeah. okay. That really makes mean, sense. You know what I mean? I feel like uh, that social media presence for them helped them to maintain the the profile they have as Pentatonix. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I also follow, because I, I follow Scott Hoying's boyfriend. Because uh, Scott Hoying noted a white person with an Asian boyfriend. Yes. I was like, I need a role model. I'm kidding. <laughs> noted, noted Asian dater, uh, Scott Hoying. Well, his boyfriend seems very lovely. Mark. They're a cute couple. They're a very cute yeah, couple. Yeah, they're a very cute couple. Um, and uh, I mean, listen, we come from uh, a gay community uh, with the popular refrain, no fats, no femmes, no Asians. So, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have nothing but respect for a man that will date another Asian man. Yeah. <sighs> they just got back from Bali. Oh. Mm-hmm. Or no, no, Bora Bora. Oh. Oh, my dream since I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> you grew up on like a tropical island. You know what? That's what my mom said. And you know what? No, I'm sorry. An atoll is not the same as like trash covered Waikiki Beach. Okay. I'm sorry. I know you're not from Maui. No, 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 I'm not. Untouched wilderness of Maui. I'm not a country boy. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so anyway, okay. They win this thing. It's got, you know, blah, 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 blah. Joyful Joyful is one of four new songs on Pentatonic's 2019 compilation album of Christmas songs. And just saying that is kind of crazy. They had released four Christmas albums prior to 2019. Oh. Like, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of their thing. Like, where they, because, because, because with acapella, so much of the novelty of it lies in the fact that they're covers so people people are familiar with the material but are drawn to the novelty of an acapella rendition um and so christmas music is like a very good vehicle for that right because there's a lot of familiarity people have a lot of relationship to these songs but you know there and there's so much christmas music that you can cover um that they do this and then they they do collaborations all the time for it i can't believe it took them this long to do deck the halls that's yeah, it's kind of crazy but they but so so the compilation album is a compilation of quote-unquote it's called the best of pentatonics christmas and looking at some of the reviews people are like is it really the best um Aww. which i'm like what i don't know like it's all christmas music 
But Joyful Joyful is one of four new songs that was recorded specifically for this album. Okay. Um, Joyful Joyful, for some of you 80s, 90s children, the version of Joyful Joyful that this is, is the version from Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, um, where the high school kids are competing in a song competition in Los Angeles. And uh, Lauren Hill famously um, sings the lead. Uh, it's it's sort of it's a it's a rendition of, of of Beethoven's Ode to Joy that then segues into a New Jack swingy uh, hip hop number with rap and a sample of Janet Jackson's What Have You Done for Me Lately. And this is and oh, and uh, OPP. Oh yeah, OPP. Yeah, for sure. That was not included in the <laughs> Wikipedia entry, but yes. Uh, well, someone should go in there and edit it. But uh, Sister Act 2, and, and Barry, I don't, I don't know how you feel about Sister Act 2. Sister Act 2 was a formative experience for me. Yeah, uh, we referenced it uh, many and, times. Well, we referenced it uh, two episodes ago when I talked about mistaking Brittany Murphy for Alana Ubach. That's right. That's right. Oh, we uh, talked about it in the party episode because Dee Dee Magno Hall of the party was the Asian girl uh-huh. in Sister Act 2. And, you know, I can never not notice an Asian person in the media. Yeah, I mean, Sister Act 2, so it, it you know, Sister Act 1, you know, Dolores Van Cartier, played by uh, Whoopi Goldberg, is a mob girlfriend on the run hiding out in a convent. And so, like, you know, she she helps the convent sisters with their choir. They, you know, blah, 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 blah. Everybody knows the story. Um, the It was such a success that they rushed a sequel through, um, which finds Sister Mary Clarence now going to San Francisco to help a, like, kind of troubled school, Catholic school, um, and she takes control of the music class and turns them into a choir. There are like troubled youths, um, Lauren Hill among them. Um, and it was not as good. It was not as successful, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the criticism at the time said that it focused on these teens and didn't focus on Sister Mary Clarence or Whoopi Goldberg's character. And that was to its detriment. Um, but I think what you just spoke about and what related, what, what, touched me as a kid because i was 11 when this came out was representation i saw there's like filipino kids in the background like you know it's just it was just a multicultural very diverse cast which was kind of unusual at the time yeah Um, i mean it took place in san francisco uh in like a lower income neighborhood so i feel like they had to at least try to represent yeah that a little bit Probably even probably with that said, there were probably actually too many white students in that class. Probably. I think so. You've talked about this before. There should have been there should have been more Chinese kids in the class. But but like this this movie like really was the first time where I saw a representation of someone who looked like me in pop culture. I think it was like this and Hook. Remember Rufio? Rufio Dante Bosco. I was like, I was like, oh my God, I could be in a movie or I could be you know what I mean? Like like, it is that thing. So I think some of the critics really kind of just missed the point because for a lot of people, Sister Act 2 is is a classic. And, and uh, the soundtrack, for sure. Like there, there's uh, Oh Happy Day, uh, Joyful Joyful. There's His Eyes on the Sparrow with Lauren Hill and Tanya Blount. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack is not available on streaming. So 
I bought the physical CD off of Amazon, like from some vintage store, like a few years ago, just to have it. Because you can't get these. And I mean, they were so formal. Like, I love these versions because you, you have this was Lauren Hill before she was Lauren Hill is in this movie and sings these songs. And like, they're beautiful. Like, I just loved them. Um, I wonder who can really get them anywhere. I wonder who's holding up the licensing on it. Like, do you think? I feel like when those things happen, it's always because they can't get in touch with someone who they need to pay out royalties to. Yeah. Or someone is actually refusing to let it be released. It's yeah. Like, is Lauren Hill doing something to prevent this? Or can they just not get in contact with, like, the Filipino guy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who it is, but... That's why when I saw Joyful Joyful show up in my Spotify, I was like, wait, what? Because Jasmine Sullivan comes in and is singing the Lauren Hill part from the Sister Act 2 soundtrack. And it is so, excuse the pun, it is so joyful. Because <laughs> I wouldn't normally think of this as a Christmas song. Oh, absolutely um, not. Because it's not a Christmas song in the movie. I mean, my but... reading comprehension is not good, but I was like, is this a Christmas song? <laughs> also, wait, hold on. This album also contains the Beach Boys song, God Only Knows. Is that a Christmas yes. song? I don't know why it's there. All right. They're, but you they're know really what? grasping at straws. They're grasping. That's one of the four that's like that's been added to this. Okay. Um, I guess that was not on their previous Christmas albums because they had to have new content, right? Um, it's The music press for this album focused largely on the version that the duet quote unquote that pentatonics does with whitney houston mm-hmm. for do you hear what i hear um that was a song so whitney houston did 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 um until the early 2000s well after her voice was it was it was her voice was way past its prime by the time she did a full like a an actual christmas album um in 1987, she recorded Do You Hear What I Hear for the charity album, a very special Christmas album. Okay. Do you remember those? They were like, they were, they they benefited lots of different charities, but um, they had like, I think it eventually had like five of them. And they featured big pop acts doing covers of Christmas songs. I do not um, recall. So they had, that's where um, you have, um, uh, um, Bruce Springsteen doing like uh, Merry Christmas Baby. I think that's where you get Run DMC doing Christmas and Hollis. Um, okay. um, they you have there's a Mary J. Blige and Cheryl Crow duet for Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Oh my! Yeah, the, these these go, <laughs> they they would perform them at charity events. They would record it, perform it at charity events, and then um, kind of send it along. Okay, and, and they would raise money for um, this charity, and um, all of the. So, you know, this this album comes out in 2019. I mean, this is now a uh, what is this? 22 year 32 year old track, mm-hmm. an isolated vocal of Whitney with then pentatonic singing under it. And people are just like, "Oh, it's it's classic." And I'm like, "Who cares? Like Whitney did this fine herself. Like better herself. Leave her alone. Why is she here?" Um, and then they talk about you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Again, who cares? Boris Karloff, leave it alone. Just just do that one, you know? Um I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> All right. Tell Nobody's, me how you really feel. Nobody's talking about Jasmine Sullivan on this album. And it is, her vocal is so good. And thankfully, you know, when Pentatonix comes in, it makes sense. Because in the original song, 
it is a teen choir performing at a competition. So when they're doing this sort of medley of, you know, of OPP that's turned Christian and, you know, what have you done for me lately? And it's, you know, they're singing to God. Um, what have you done you know, for him lately? What have you done for him lately? What have you, you know, they're singing like, what have you done in your Christian walk? <laughs> um, it makes sense. This format suits it. And so I think this is a great song to put on here. It is fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, her version. I don't know. I, I don't know that it surpasses Lauren Hill, but it's, it's, it's the only one available. It's the only one available, and I will take it. And Jasmine Sullivan has a unique and beautiful voice. Um, I will take it, take it and run. Okay. So that is Joyful Joyful. Number two, the All next right. song I'm going to talk about is okay. Joy to the World by Whitney Houston and the Georgia Mass Choir. This song is from the 1996 film soundtrack to The Preacher's Wife. Um the best known single from that soundtrack is probably I Believe in You and Me, mm-hmm. which was the one that kind of took over. Um, and as I mentioned before, her best known Christmas song is probably Do You Hear What I Hear. And both good, very good. But, uh, you know, that's why I wanted to, to to talk about Joy to the World. Joy to okay. the World is a classic Christmas carol. I don't think Joy to the World is actually very joyous when you hear it. It, like these, these songs, Joy to the World was written in 1719. It follows a traditional sort of hymn structure. And most places where you hear the recording of it, it's still like, Joy to the world. Da, 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 da. It's like very. Yeah. The Lord has come. The I, Lord has come. I actually had to think about this for a second because immediately in my head, I was thinking about the. Um, is that Jeremiah was a bullfrog? <laughs> yes. The Joy to yes. the Fishes and the Deep Blue Sea. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's the first tune that comes to mind. When yeah. You say no. And, 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 so and I was funny. like, no, wait, wait, that's the wrong song. That's not what Whitney's saying. Yeah. It's not. But you know what? This is in that vein. Okay. Because, you know, you know, do you, did you, do you remember The Preacher's Wife, the movie? I have not seen. Oh my God, Barry. Okay. Look, <laughs> let me tell you. I was watching too I much watched... iCarly. Jeez. <sighs> So this movie comes out in 1996. It's directed by Penny Marshall. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Penny Marshall. Laverne also directed, also directed A League of Their Own. A League of Their Own. Just, just you know, so everyone knows who we're talking about. Um, stars Denzel Washington, Whitney Houston, and Courtney B. Vance. Courtney B. Vance is a preacher, kind of hard, down on his luck, kind of sad sack preacher who's lost his way. He's He's being ineffective. He's married to the lovely Whitney Houston, who is his wife and leads the church choir. Um, the church is crumbling. They're trying to tend to their flock, blah, blah, blah. Courtney B. Vance prays for help from God, and he gets sent an angel played by uh, Denzel Washington. Um, and he, you know, Courtney B. Vance doesn't believe he's an angel, thinks he's crazy. But <laughs> Denzel, Denzel at the height of his, like, powers in 1996 just a truly stunning man. Okay. And Whitney Houston, who like is not known for her acting ability, she does very well in this movie. It's very charming. It is a remake of like a 1947 movie that starred Cary Grant. Um, so, you know, it's got that old Hollywood charm to it. But this movie was fantastic. Jennifer Lewis plays Whitney's mother. Loretta Devine is in the movie. Who hasn't um, uh, she played the mother of? Isn't she the mother well, that's of? What, that, that's her. That's her. Her title of her memoir, "Mother of Black Hollywood." Yeah, 
<laughs> she looks exactly the same in 1996 as she does now. It's kind of crazy. Um, you know, the, so so this takes place in the church, and because she's the church leader, a lot of the music is is gospel, right? Um, this takes place around Christmas time, so it's not a traditional Christmas album, but there are some holiday influences in here. Um, critics saw this soundtrack album as as kind of one of the best things that Winnie had done at that point, up to that point. Um, the, the, they they felt that she emotionally connected to the to the songs in this, even though it's a soundtrack album. Mm-hmm. Um, than than she did on any of her previous studio albums. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about this uh, in previous episodes, but there had been criticism of of Whitney that her music had been scrubbed of blackness in mm-hmm. order to appeal to mainstream pop or white audiences, right? And mm-hmm. you know, this is nineteen ninety six. She's she's had you know she's already an icon. She's already been in the Bodyguard. The bodyguard soundtrack kind of took off, but at this point, a lot of audiences of color—I want to say black audiences—and and just people in general were really hoping, like, can we get like an actual R and B or or some kind of album that's like not so slick and pop? Mm-hmm. And so the soundtrack was seen as kind of a welcome and long-awaited return to her roots. Um, the movie was successful. And the soundtrack continued her movie soundtrack success from The Bodyguard, but even more so. I mean, this album became the best-selling gospel album of all time. Um, it debuted at number one on the Billboard Gospel Charts, spent 26 consecutive weeks there. Um, it's it 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 was kind of surprising because you know Whitney was not known as a gospel singer. Um mm-hmm. and she she did really well. I mean, this this song is. I mean, the 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 soundtrack is really good. As much as I love, I believe in you and me, and a couple of the other songs. Like she does really good on these on these gospel songs. She sounds really believable. And the reason I say that is because I also in in preparation for this, I watched The Preacher's Wife last night, <laughs> um, and I was like, this is such a charming and funny movie. You know, it really they really did have everyone in it. Yeah. Um. Gregory Hines is in it as kind of the smarmy like developer who's trying to sell the land that the church is on. All of this. Like it's it's just like that 90s like big movie star kind of movie. Um, and like I said, Joy to the World, written in 1719, feels like a hymn. A lot of the holiday versions of it are a little, in my opinion, like too reverent and like churchy, like okay. in that way. Like it's like too traditional. Uh-huh. Um <clears throat> Whitney's version explodes with joy. <laughs> I feel this takes this sounds like joy to the world. Like if we're talking about like joy to the world, this you know the Lord has come, <laughs> let earth receive her king. You feel it here. Like it's just it's just it's a gospel version of this song that just takes it to where it needs to be. Um, just so full of joy. All of the the she's backed by the Georgia Mass Choir. Whitney Houston in 1996 was at her, her voice was in its prime. Um, she, you know, just in, in full control of her instrument, um, had all the money in the world to put behind production on this. And speaking about production, this song and mo- a majority of the soundtrack were arranged by a man named Mervyn Warren. Mervyn Warren, to tie it back to <laughs> Pentatonix, mm-hmm. was a former member of the acapella group Take Six, which in the 90s, was a it was like an R and B acapella group, but they they also were nominated for many Grammys. They they'd gotten really popular. 
In addition to that, he also arranged all of the music in Sister Act 2. Oh. So he did the arrangement of Joyful Joyful that Jasmine Sullivan then covers with Pentatonix. Um, he also he also wrote the underscoring for uh, The Wedding Planner with Jennifer <laughs> Lopez and uh, was a producer on Quincy Jones' um, uh, Q's Juke Joint album. Like he's just been doing everything. So I just thought that was a really interesting sort of tie-in um, I was like, why do you know that same joy that I feel in in the arrangement of Joy to the World? You get that sense from Joyful, Joyful, and so just bursting with energy in a way that some of these some of these songs are not always. <laughs> some of them are just very like you know hokey or whatever. These don't feel hokey. You can't help but feel good and like kind of tap your feet and just kind of go with it. Which then brings me to my to my final song, my final holiday song that I want to redeem, which is, you know, well, let me put it this way. When it comes to dramatic rearrangements of Christmas songs, maybe none are more dramatic than Barbara Streisand's Jingle Bells with a question mark. Question mark um, her, the question mark is in the uh, is in the the song title from her 1968 release, A Christmas Album. Now. Barbara Streisand's, I'm not going to go into her history because, like, she's Barbara Streisand. If you don't know, look her up. Lots of people don't know who Barbara Streisand is. Lots of people under the age of, like, 35, probably. I mean, what has Barbara Streisand done, like, in the last... Let me, okay. Well, she's done, like, one thing in the last 10 years, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. I I agree with you. Oh, she sang, didn't she sing with Ariana Grande? recently she's done a lot of things she did a lot of duets she had a duets album a okay, 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 okay. I, I largely ignore her more recent efforts um i mean i but, don't think that even for me i know who barbara streisand is based on like the slice of time that she was doing like the prince of tides and stuff like that okay right? like that so was the main her, thing like that i 80s. the main thing that i actually experienced of barbara streisand everything else is very much like as told by rupaul or something okay. like that you know like when you see uh, uh didn't barbara streisand do it she did a duet with judy garland that was yes. like iconic let me let me let, let, let me to... okay let me tell you no, let me tell you let me tell you just very quickly barbara streisand was a girl from brooklyn who had a dream of being an actress and a star. That was her dream. She went to um, she went to drama school. She, you know, she she wasn't. She went to like a dramatic high school. Was auditioning, doing all these things, um, crashing on friends' couches, going to auditions, just not really making it. At one point, someone heard her singing, and they were like, "Well, you know, why don't you? you I know you're not a singer." You want to be an actress, but you should add singing to your resume, you know, when you when you do these auditions. So she had a boyfriend at the time who just like recorded some of her songs, some of her singing in the apartment. And when they both heard it, they realized, wait a minute, like you can sing, you know, and she never that was never her dream. She she described herself as an actress who sings like her dream has always been to be an actor. Much like Miranda Cosgrove, you might say. (laughs) 
I, exactly like Miranda <laughs> Cosgrove. Now, this is all happening when Barbara Streisand is very young. She was 20, I believe, when she she auditions for uh she auditions for the show I can get it for you wholesale. Arthur well, so she 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 took her little she took her recordings and got a, a weekly gig singing in a small nightclub. It paid her like $125 a week. And Arthur Lawrence happened to see her singing there. Arthur okay. Lawrence is the Broadway playwright who wrote, I believe he wrote Gypsy. Okay. Okay. So he sees her singing and says, I've got this Broadway show opening called I Can Get It For You, or I'm producing, called I Can Get It For You Wholesale. Come and audition. She auditions for this. She gets this role. And she immediately, like, like her performances in this show, like, stop the show. Like, it's just, people are just flabbergasted, like, by her voice. So she goes, she's, like, the talk of the town, all of this stuff. She's, she's now doing additional um, nightclub shows. Um, she keeps moving up. She ends up, like, she ends up, like, being the opening act for Phyllis Diller. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, kind of honing this nightclub routine um, and becoming very popular, developing her banter and all of this. She eventually does Funny Girl, which earns her like a Tony. And uh, then she ends up, or maybe did she lose a Tony to Carol Channing and like Hello Dolly, I think. But you could tell me anything about Barbara Streisand from this era and I would be like, uh-huh. uh-huh. All I'm saying is that like all of this is happening. She's like 20, mm-hmm. 21, right? And I didn't realize like how young she was. She meets Elliot Gold and I can get it for you wholesale. And that's when they get married. Oh, Elliot so Gold. Like, yeah, yeah, Ross is Ross and Monica's dad in Friends. Um they're married through the through the 60s. But like all of this is happening. Then she releases so she 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 puts together these albums. And it, I won't go into it, but she's like the whole thing about Barbara Streisand is she's like a force of sheer will, right? Like she has no experience and has really nothing to back it up, but be, she gets these record companies, the Columbia to give her these record deals. And the only thing she cares about is being able to choose her own material. Mm-hmm. So they let her do that. She does this on her, my name is, or the, the Barbara Streisand album, my name is Barbara, Jean-Mattel Barbara, all, all these these things. She she gets an, an enormous amount of creative control, which like, you know, as we've talked about with other artists that we've gone into, nobody gets that. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible that she she like gets these things while she's still performing in the nightclubs. She gets CBS to give her a, a a TV special, and and an executive producer credit. Now she's not even had an album yet. She goes on. She does this TV special. It wins an Emmy, like a TV Emmy, and then her album like comes out at the same time, and like she just becomes like the biggest thing. Like this is a, it's it's hard to explain because I think sometimes. We think of like the Beatles, Ella Fitzgerald, Barbra Streisand, um, you know, the Phil Spector artists as all being in very different sort of genres and eras. But this is all like happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so she's got this like the, the fact that she had creative control meant she resist her albums are like mostly standards and they're like kind of like her cabaret act at a time when the Beatles were taking over the radio. So it was like she fought off the because she had that clause in there, she didn't have to put any pop songs in there, mm-hmm. um, and she became you know super famous in her own right, right? So yeah. she does all of this. Well, I feel by like the- that's why though, like 
nowadays, like I know Barbara Streisand is an icon. I know she's incredibly talented. I know she's incredibly successful, but you never really hear a lot of Barbara Streisand uh-huh. music. Um, it's all old. Like you have to go back and listen. Like you have to seek it out. It doesn't, it's not like it's on all the radio old and it's decidedly not pop music, you know, like yeah. in the way that like, um, what's that radio station here? 88.5 has an entire hour dedicated every weekend to just playing Beatles music. Yeah. yeah. You know, Beatles songs, you mm-hmm. know, Rolling Stone songs, Barbara Streisand songs. It's like, I know them here and there, especially as they like tie into movies. Uh-huh. Aside from that, like there's an, a certain amount of iconography to Barbara Streisand that I can recognize again. Like, uh-huh. wasn't she wearing a sailor outfit when she was singing with Judy Garland? Yeah, she was wearing a sailor. Like, she, she, she cult, like these were all like very specific things to cultivate her own brand of pop stardom, like, like yeah. stardom for her. Right. And that is what I think is incredible is the, the amount of control, because they—that—that's the thing you'll also hear about when you hear about Barbara Streisand that she's controlling, or she was like, you know, she was difficult. But like, from everything from like that outfit that she's wearing, you know, like to, to fighting to be seen as sexy in her own right, mm-hmm. you know, because you always the 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 thing was was that when she was younger, they told her she was too ugly to be a star, and that she'd have to get her nose done, and she never did, and she did makeup and things to actually accentuate it, you know, like. It became her thing, and she did so much of what she did was motivated by what people told her she couldn't do, and so she went and fought for that control. And so I think even doing standards, because these albums, the initial albums from Barbara Streisand, they they are seen. Many of those recordings are seen as sort of the definitive recordings of some of these standards. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's why you don't hear them because they're standards, but like they're the ones that people think of when you do think of the song. Mm-hmm. And for that to be in the 60s, when it was sort of old-fashioned, and for her to be like 20 doing it and killing it, was like, it was just this whole kind of unheard of thing. Like she had like a completely different kind of popularity and took over in that way. Um, so, but she always saw this as a stepping ground to be an actor. She, you know, she leveraged it to be, that's why she was like on TV, like, and 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 that's why like so many of her songs and when i say that like i connect i have a hard time sometimes connecting to songs where there's no emotional arc or there's no connection to the lyric from the artist is because of someone like i like someone like barbara streisand who channeled basically all of her acting into the performance of the song so she she turns each song she like she acts there's characters in the song and she becomes one character who's like performing the song so there's like a, it's kind of like with Frank Sinatra that way, where there's a way of storytelling in a song that, you know, sets you apart sometimes from other artists. So, 1968, she comes out with a Christmas album. Her first album came out in 1963. This was her tenth studio album in five years. <laughs> like to give you the idea of like how much she's producing, she was coming out with two albums a year for five years, hmm. and just building this incredible momentum. She does uh the christmas album and it it becomes one of the best selling christmas albums of all time um it was for a long time until i think it was the best selling christmas album of all time until celine dion's comes out in the 90s hmm so for like 30 years it was basically the most popular christmas album 
Um, Jingle Bells is the first song on it. And Billboard, the description by Billboard magazine is, they describe her version of Jingle Bells as bizarre, exciting, uplifting, and will leave you confused. And (laughs) it is that. Jingle Bells is a masterwork of breath control and delivery and controlled chaos. <laughs> um, I think you 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 said that chaos really that that's what described it to you. She this this song is done at a breath neck a breakneck pace, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's not in that sort of jaunty, jazzy version that is t- typically done for jingle bells, which mm-hmm. is kind of like jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way, right? Like that's what you think of when you hear jingle bells. Hers I mean, is. She completely eliminates the pause between the first two jingle bells is. Yeah. And it, I mean, whatever she has to do to the meter of this song to get it so that you don't have to go jingle bells, jingle bells. It's jingle bells, jingle bells. Yeah. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Like it's not, it's no longer like in a, like a, it's no longer in like a, a easily digestible meter. No, and it it just it assaults you. It like grabs you by the neck and is like jingle bells. It has that like Burt Bacharachy type of off kilter meter to it. Uh huh. Yes, yes. And it's it's so. I remember the first time I heard it because my parents had the record. Again, to this idea of how popular, like in the '90s, I discovered this record in their collection, which is 30 years after it had come out, and I had never it. I had never heard anything like it. Like it was so. <laughs> just like what like turn the traditional version of it on its head and it 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 feels like you're crashing around the countryside in a sleigh like it has this energy this like exuberance um to it um this exhilaration especially because she's just careening through it and and not like not messily it's like technically so precise Mm-hmm. her diction her breath control just everything and it is one of the gayest things i've ever heard in my life <laughs> which is saying a lot and you know she gets to the end is like jingle bells jingle bells in a 60s song like it's just it kind of blows my mind blows my mind you will not i mean this song was written in 1860 so it's 108 years old by the time she comes out with her her version, or 1850, I should say, 100, 118 years old by the time this comes out. Um, so to put like a, a completely new spin on a 118 year old song, I think is pretty fantastic. Um, I I don't think anything touches it to this day, um, in terms of, you know, we talked about Mariah doing any, you know, all I want for Christmas is you. This is different, but it like it definitely puts its own spin on something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that thing. It's that thing of like, uh, that's the thing is where I don't think I've ever listened to Kelly Clarkson's Christmas album where she's covering traditional Christmas songs yeah. or even like the Mariah Carey Christmas album. Like she does several standards on that. Right. She does she, or does she not? Yeah. She does like Christmas time is here on her more new one. I, I don't think they're as successful. She does. Oh, Holy night, which I love. Yeah. But that's the thing is like, I don't turn to contemporary artists to hear yeah. standards typically, yeah. especially at Christmas. I guess that is a thing with Christmas that like, if I'm going to go that route of like, well, I want to hear deck the halls. I yeah. just want to hear a bunch of like, uh, 
old 18th century white people singing it, you know? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, I don't. But I, but, but I still go back to, like, the 50s or 60s versions of a lot of songs, right? Like, because I feel like some of those... They feel like I'm in a, like um, a department store at Christmas. <laughs> oh no, like you know, or cocktails at Christmas. I don't know. Like I like I like more loungy uh, cocktail hour type of Christmas covers more than like pop versions. Mm-hmm. And so I think this kind of sits right in the middle. Um, you know, to your point, Pentatonics again, surprise, surprise, did a cover in 2018, which I refused to listen to because. The Barbara Streisand version is right here. Like, they no did a cover song. of the Barbara Streisand version yes, of, Jingle, of Bells, Jingle Bells. And you yes. refuse to listen to it. Yeah, I don't know how it sounds. I'm sure it sounds fine. But and Jason, Barbara's this, is, is, this is essential, essential research for this episode. Jingle <laughs> Bells with Orchestra by Pentatonix. Is that it? I guess. Oh. You know what's <laughs> funny about... Okay, so I'm listening to it now. Mm. I'm not going to describe what it sounds like. It's... It, Oh, this is so much faster than Barbara Streisand's version. It's just, it's, 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 it, it's mind-bogglingly fast. I feel like sometimes these things are just unnecessary. Well, it's funny, I guess with, you know, and this goes back into like why acapella music is, you know, not my thing. Well, there's something so weird about it. It's, it's so precision-based Mm-hmm. It almost sounds fake. Like when yeah, you hear, can, when I mean, you hear people that's... sing acapella live, it's like really impressive because of how precise it is. But uh-huh. to hear recordings of it, it almost sounds like robotic. I don't. I mean, I don't know that it sounds robotic to me because my dad loved acapella. Like he loved Take Six in the nineties. And well, so Take Six I, is I remember its own a lot thing, of but like I'm thinking well, know, of like, these, you know like, what um, I mean. like whatever this show, the sing off type of. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. pentatonics genre of like Glee Club type of. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I don't want to say it's like, right? soul. Yeah, oh, uncanny, totally. It's very. Yeah. Um, what was that Tom Hanks movie with the uh, train? Oh God, the Polar Uncanny Express. Valley. It's very Polar Express. That like almost yeah. human, but not quite human, but kind of also too human. Well, pentatonics refers to a scale consisting of, I think, five. Tones. Five keys per octave. Okay. Right? So normally there's, what, eight? Yeah. Right? And so you they you make a whole octave with just the five voices. So that's where you get the name pentatonics from. Uh-huh. Like, so it's that's probably where you're getting that sense of it being sort of fake because it's a different musical scale. Well, not just, it's not, to like, it's not to even, like make all of those notes, like within, you know, it's not even that though. I mean, you know, you hear like three part harmonies or four part uh-huh. harmonies in pop music and they sound a particular way. I don't, I think it's, I think it's also the way that acapella music is recorded to really like respect the sound of the voice. You know, have uh-huh. we talked about like, the I wish yes and how open and airy it sounds and stuff I feel like that's the stuff that in recordings of pentatonics recordings maybe specifically but like this is my impression of acapella music in general is that they don't want that yeah it's they so want close, it to sound very no tight vibrato, right? so that you yeah. know that this is our voice this is the truest recording sound of our voices yeah. so it just has this very like is this real kind of it's dry and it's very dry as, as I 
talking to Adam, that's like the the recording of it. There's no reverb. Yeah. So it's like kind of like my voice right now where it's just, there's no, because they have to be, because you do that, then it like messes with the precision, right? Of the. It messes of, with the precision, but it, I think it also blend. disguises things when you go wet. Like yeah. anyone who's yeah. sung at karaoke, you know, with less than perfect vocals knows when you turn that reverb on it just makes you sound so good it's that singing in the shower effect that makes you think that you can sing it hides a multitude of vocal sins and when you turn when you turn it off it's like that's like big dick energy to like turn off all the reverb and be like this is what my voice sounds like but at the same time i think it just it sounds uncanny um i i get it I, i i and that's that's the thing like for me it's like like with a song like this this jingle bells at least people will be talking about it. But, you know, if you put it on a list or if you, whether you like it or not, like, it's just like, what is this? What's happening? Um, I mean, to Barbara Streisand's to credit, things. Yeah. to Barbara Streisand's credit, though, I will say that, like, she takes this off-kilter, off-meter version of Jingle Bells and makes it kind of jazzy. Uh-huh. This pen- There's a... Go ahead. The Pentatonix version is strangely soulless. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very, it's very, um, 40% off at old Navy, um, <laughs> TikTok in the winter wonderland commercial kind of vibes. This is, this is the, the, the thing with Barbara Streisand. That's why she's Barbara Streisand. That's why I like, that's why she remains an icon to this day that she can do something like this. The musicality is still there. The storytelling is still there. You like it's and by the end where she's just belting out on a one horse open sleigh like it it feels all natural like it doesn't feel you know it it feels natural to to whoever's singing this mm-hmm. whereas like with the pentatonics one like to your point I think it feels like someone putting on they're just singing the song because it's like hard and it's a novelty like Barbara's embodying this like yeah exhilarated thrill seeking sleigh rider it's just like. Just like you can almost see it's just like giddy with excitement, like crashing over hills and stuff, you know, like <laughs> off we go through the snow. Oh, we get it. Like it just, it just goes. So, yeah. Which is funny because the rest of the a Christmas album is almost bare, is so traditional, like so reverential to the material. Um, but it does include one of my favorite versions of my favorite things from Sound of Music. Uh, it's also very dramatic. Is that a you Christmas know? song? No, but she made it one. Okay. So because she covered it, then because she put it on her album, then you see a whole bunch of other people like Tony Bennett ends up doing one. Um, you know, uh, Nancy Wilson, like all these people do like different as versions. A of, Christmas song. As Christmas songs, yes. Okay. Because it's like, these are all my favorite things. So it becomes like gifts. You know, like cream colored ponies and crisp after school. That's not the reason for the season, guys. I, you know, it is Jesus, but, um, which is why Barbara Streisand didn't know that. I was, did she celebrate Christmas? I was like, is she the original, like, Jew for Jesus? Like, because, like, she's very, very publicly just very, like, Jewish. Like, so, like, for her to come out with like the best selling, one of the best selling Christmas albums of all time, I think is a coup. And I think kudos to her. <laughs> like, good for you, girl. Just mine it. Get it. And then to have her versions of some things be like the traditional standards become the become the thing. I think that's funny. Um, fun fact about uh, Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells was actually written. It was intended to be a Thanksgiving song. Oh. But it, which is why it doesn't mention Christmas at all. 
Oh, okay. People often complain about the lack of Thanksgiving songs. Well, people you know who hate Christmas songs mm-hmm. say, like, why do Christmas songs start playing so early? We want Thanksgiving songs. But little did we know we've had a Thanksgiving song this entire time. Yeah. And apparently it didn't catch on in 1850 either. So. I mean, I guess if you think about it, like a lot of like quote unquote Christmas songs are like winter songs. Yeah. Winter Wonderland. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they're fair game for once uh temperatures in Los Angeles dip below 80, which yeah, still yeah. has not necessarily happened. I mean, yesterday it was 64. Oh, okay. It was it was very, very cold this morning. It got yes. it got very, very uh foggy as of late uh-huh. and um our th- I, know, our f- I put my i put my orchids outside so that they can hopefully spike in the temperature drop oh is that what they need that's i was talking i met a woman who's actually on the, like the new jersey orchid board like okay. does judging okay <laughs> and she was like yes this is yeah it needs to be a, a difference of 10 degrees oh wow then, yeah well, we're going way beyond 10 degrees. Yeah, right? but she said, like, you know, if it's actually cold, it'll actually force them to a little bit more. Like, uh, okay. like but like where, where we are, it's not like cold, cold. So they're not in danger, but it's enough to stress them to the point where they put up another flower spike. And and because of the humidity, it they're not drying out. Like they love the humidity. So Okay. That's interesting because my mom has always had really, really good luck with orchids, but uh-huh. she's in Northern California. So that maybe makes sense. Because she's always had indoor orchids. And yeah, I guess in our house in San Francisco, like the temperature would always drop at night in the house. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. So she said, try it. So I'm going to do that. All so, right. Look, pros, guys. Pro l- tip. Listen, you're learning so much on this podcast. Um, <laughs> happy holidays. Add these three songs to your list. Send us, uh, you know, the, the holiday songs that you like on your list um, so that we can add here. Joy to the world. Joy to the fishes. <laughs> and the deep blue sea. Joy to you and me. Joy to you and me indeed. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. It's uh, that today is the last. Well, we're going to be late for Hanukkah. Happy well, today. Bel- no, well, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, though, just so you know, the last day of Hanukkah. So ha- happy belated Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa's coming up. Early Christmas. We'll be posting this pre- slightly before Christmas, I think. Uh-huh. And we will see you. We will see you in the new year. In the new year. We might have to record that before the new year, though. Well, but we'll see them in the new year. Yeah, we'll see you in the new year. We'll, <laughs> we'll hear you. In the, you'll hear us in the new year. Um, until then, I think that I need to give special thanks to someone. Um, special thanks to, of course, Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Uh I'll say it again. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Maybe. Keep keep your fingers crossed. Uh, Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social media, flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter, and facebook.com slash flopredeemer. You can email us at flopredeemer at (laughs) gmail.com. Ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays. Goodbye.